0: Welcome to the seventh episode of the comic show on Monkey Spotting Robots. This week we are reviewing Mech Cadet number one from Boom Studios. Very excited about that book. And then we have Elsewhere number one by Image Comics. This is going to be an indie week. And we even have an indie creator coming on later on in the show as well. We have Zach Kaplan to talk about his new book that just was announced. At San Diego Comic Con, Port of Earth, from Image Comics and Top Cow, that you know, little studio that's inside of Image, Top Cow, Mark Silvestri. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co founder of com. Joining me in the conversation is my co host, editor of the comic book section on Monkey Fighting Robots, Anthony Compasto.
1: What's up, Internet? Uh, if you like the show, subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher. Please, feedback is always welcome. Go ahead and And comment, let us know how we're doing and what books we should be reading. And speaking of feedback, speaking of comments, we have our first fan of the week, Matt.
0: Is this a Vision reference?
1: Oh, it's going to be. It is going to be. We have uh, Alex Blacksley is our fan of the week. He reached out to us on Twitter. He's at Alex underscore Blacksley. And yeah, he's a really cool guy and he loves the Vision, so he's already got my support.
0: Alex, we're going to have to talk about this later on. Oh, and he, how did have, he find I us? He, he nice found us searching for one of our reviews, a Jeff Lemire yeah. book. Yeah, he was looking for someone talking about Royal City,
1: and and we did that a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we did. It's a great book. I'm, I, oh, Jeff Lemire. Jeff Lemire has my heart.
0: We're going to have to review books that aren't by Jeff Lemire at some point in time. Oh, that's going to be hard, but okay.
1: We don't have any Jeff Lemire this week, so actually it's easy.
0: I also made all the comic book writers work this week, and they were so annoyed when I created this amazing contest <laughs> for everyone because the writers get a prize. The fans get a prize. It's the Who's Your Favorite New Gods contest, and we partnered with DC. They sent us three Omnibuses, Omnibies. Omnibuye. Omnibuy. We got three Omnibuy from DC Comics. That we're going to give away. One is going to be given to the most popular writer on the website because they put together this large article of their favorite New God stories. And at the top of it is going to be a poll. So you get to vote for your favorite New God slash writer. And the winner of that, that writer, is going to get an omnibus. And then we are going to randomly pull out of the magic hat that we have two fans that voted in the contest, and they will get some omnibus as well.
1: Yeah, you guys, you can win a Jack Kirby Omnibus Volume 1. You could win Commandi by Jack Kirby Volume 1, a little Jack Kirby theme going on, or you could win Orion by Walt Simonson, the Omnibus. Pretty, pretty sweet deal. I I'm not gonna use my influence on this podcast to tell you to vote for me. I will just say. That my favorite new guy is Mister Miracle, who has an incredible-looking comic coming out next week. If you if you choose if you choose to vote for me, I won't be annoyed.
0: And this is all to promote Mister Miracle number one by Tom King, Mister and Mitch De- Garretts. Yes, I was gonna say Tom King, a.k.a. the depressing guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's taking he's taking Mister Miracle, who. Is one of the more fun characters in the DC universe and making him sad. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've read it, the the preview that they have out there. They put out a preview in the last issue of Batman. And from the looks of things, Mr. Miracle tried to commit suicide. Tom,
0: what is going on <laughs> with you, buddy?
1: Uh, but I'm still excited for it. I'm excited for it. I think this is an awesome contest. Huge thanks to DC and Clark Bull, specifically over at DC, for setting us up with this.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. Go to robots.com We'll be sharing this through social media, Twitter, and Facebook. Go vote, and you could win an omnibus.
1: With all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get down to business. We got a couple of awesome indie books to review with you today. Matt, we're going to start with a new image number one. You know, I love my image number ones. You might. Feel differently about this one. We're talking elsewhere. Number one, written by Jay Farber, with art by Sume Kesgin and colors by Ron Riley. I hope I got all those names pronounced correctly. Uh, it's this interesting blend of historical fiction and fantasy, which is awesome. And it, it leans heavier on the fantasy, I will admit. But it's uh, it's what if Amelia Earhart's accident transported her to I don't know if it's a different dimension or a different planet, but she ain't on Earth. I'll tell you that much.
0: No, it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy town. I like the artwork. I'm not a fan of the colors. I'm also not a fan of the heavy-handed dialogue of explaining everything to me. It's okay. Just run with it. It's issue number one. Just you don't have to explain every single little nuance to me.
1: Is that your pro- Was that what your problem with the dialogue was? Not that it sounded stilted, but that it was too expository?
0: Like when they were talking about the the flying dragon guy thing, they're like, "Oh, look how it's bonded to her. That's never happened before. What's going on?" Blah blah. Like this takes a week, and it just seemed kind of like they were stating the obvious. Is what it felt like to me.
1: But there's an easy, and I'm not looking to excuse a book. It wasn't as big an issue for me. But there's a culture barrier here. You know, these are aliens of of a sort. And Amelia Earhart's from Earth, so of course there's going to be some explanation of she wouldn't know that she wouldn't know that it's weird for a steed to take a week to bond. She would have to have that explained to her. Also, they're not speaking; they're literally not speaking the same language. We don't know how, but somehow she's speaking English, they're speaking their language, but they're understanding each other. So I feel like there would be some, some maybe I don't want to say stilted dialogue, but there's going to be a language barrier, a culture barrier there
0: my question to you is if the two guys said oh look look what's happening over there and they showed an image of you know the steed nuzzling with her and then they kind of left it open doesn't it make you think more like why what happened what am i missing and like think about the book more and get more excited about it because there's like a mystery of something as opposed to just explaining it to you right away
1: no, because I think that's just a very minor moment. It's not a major plot fight. That was an emotional moment to begin with. That was like my favorite moment of the book, the empathic steed, where she's crying, she's breaking down, and the steed just kind of nuzzles her and she hugs it. That was an emotional moment. But to have them then explain, like, oh, wow, like they don't, they usually take a week to get to that level. It just kind of enhanced that element. It didn't make the moment. The moment was made already. That just kind of deepened it even more. If it was like a major plot point, if it was a spoiler or they were revealing something that was going to come and play later down the line, then yes, yeah, subtlety is key. But something just like a little throwaway moment like that, it didn't, it wasn't a big deal.
0: Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because like then it. when the, the, the bad guys, the bad cops, I don't know, bad demon guys, the bad patrol guys, whatever we're calling these people. They're patrolling and they're like, we should, uh, we're not going to find him. We're going to head back. And then one guy's like, Do you want to head back? Because the guy's going to, you know, the Lord is going to kill us. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. It was just weird. It's like a cheesy sci fi movie and a comic book.
1: (laughs) There was a whole generation of children who were raised on cheesy sci fi. Cheesy sci fi is not bad. You are that generation, for that matter.
0: (sighs) I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I there was there's something just off about the book for me. I love the concept of the book. I love the reveal at the end. Yes. And I love the you know some of the character designs, but what I think there's something off with the colors or something.
1: I'll agree with you there. The colors considering you're in a fantasy world where anything can be different, it's not earth you can play with it as much as you can. There are a couple of really cool shots where they're flying their steeds. And the sky is a couple of different shades. It's blue and pink. Other than that, though, it's very dark. It's very blue. It's very much, there's not a lot of variation. You could have gotten so colorful and so vibrant. I know it's a night scene. It's nighttime, this whole issue. So that there's, there's that. Maybe there'll be an issue set during the day that'll be different. But I do agree that maybe they could have played with it a little more. I love the character development. Especially for Cort and Tavel, the two alien characters. I thought they did a great job just in the first few issues. You know exactly who these people are. When Court runs out of the way while they're trying to escape to cut Amelia down and save her. And Tavel's resistant and he's trying to pull away. You instantly kind of get a good idea of who these people are. And I I, liked, I think that was a really great way to just you know develop these weird alien creatures just right away in the first few pages.
0: Again, it's cheesy sci-fi. Every character is who you think you would expect in a cheesy sci-fi movie. You have the independent woman. You have the loner heroic guy. And then you have fat sidekick for comic relief.
1: This isn't just like an independent woman. Okay, this is Amelia Earhart. This isn't a new character. Like... If you were going to have Amelia Earhart in a comic book, of course, she has to be a strong, independent woman. It's Amelia motherfucking Earhart. I get that. I'm just telling you the tropes of the book. Ah, I I really enjoyed it. And as you dubbed her, our producer is sitting right here. My girlfriend, Brooke, who actually was just reading the book because I sent it to her. I said, you have to read this. As soon as she got to that last page, she literally had to stifle herself. Because we're recording, she wanted to scream she loved it so much. That's your target audience right there. There you go. There's someone who loves history, who loves fantasy, who loves strong independent women. That's your audience. She loved it.
0: You want me to ruin the book for you? Do it. He's the villain. At the end? Yeah.
1: Of course. He's a, he's a, he, was a, he was a madman who hijacked a plane. He's a, yeah, he's a criminal mastermind. Like yeah. Of course he's not a good guy.
0: No, but I think he's like the king. Of, he's the lord of the area. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I, as soon as I was like reading this, I was like, okay, how many tropes were going to hit at one point in time? And I was like, I saw the guy with the mask on. I was like, that guy's totally a human. And I was just with a giant mask on. And I was like, oh. And then at the end, I was like, oh, he's probably the villain. He just took his mask off.
1: Huh. I don't think that would ruin the book. I think that would be an awesome turn of events. I'd be totally down for that.
0: The problem is, is this film has tropes, so they just fall into those tropes. And then I love to just think about how movies are going to play out or comic books are going to play out. And this one I was like, oh. And I didn't even read, I don't ever read any of the information that you send me. I just read the comic books. And I saw the person in the chair, I was like, that's Amelia Earhart. And I was like, damn it, it's Amelia Earhart. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with
1: tropes. I think tropes are tropes for a reason. There's a reason we have cliches, there's a reason we have tropes. And you don't want to overdo it on the tropes or the clichés. What you want to do is you want to take something that's been established, that feels familiar and good, and you want to do something different with it. You want to twist it, you know, twist it on its head and make something new and original. I think there's a lot of fun and originality in this story. You say there are tropes, you say it's clichéd. I think we give it a few more issues and it'll really surprise us. And this is a comic that's going to be done in short bursts. If you read the information in the back, it's going to be four issue story arcs. And then they're going to take like two months off in between arcs. And so it'll be short little bursts of stories. I think when we get to issue four, maybe you'll feel differently.
0: It's interesting because this week's comic books are very trope heavy, very cliche heavy. Cadet U number one that, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, but that resonated with me more than this one did. And I'm trying to figure out what it is about it. And I, I think one is the artwork the mech cadet you had a Robotech feel and I was just, it just sucked me right in where this was kind of fantasy land. Cause that's where they are like this fantasy land, not fantasy land, like Cuckooville, but like right. it's, it's, yeah. there's something about it that just didn't win me over with it. And it's very, the artwork is very cartoonish. It looks like gargoyles, the cartoon show.
1: It's a little rubbery if that's if that's the we know, can the correct... we
0: can we can take that word we can yeah, own that it's, one
1: it's a little it's a little rubbery it's a little bit cartoony it's not breaking any new ground but again it wasn't distracting it wasn't bad it was just it was plain it was a little rubbery and it was plain the thing with that is if it's really bad artwork it'll take me out of a book if it's plain artwork it's distracting but the story can still hook me. In this case, the artwork may have been a little plain, but the story
0: still kept me hooked. This book, there's something about it, and i got to figure out what it is that's not resonating with me. But I still want to see this as a movie or as a TV show or even as a cartoon. I'd be like, oh, this is pretty awesome. Like, There's a lot of good elements in there. I'm just trying to figure out why those elements don't stack up to a better book to me.
1: I'm really interested because we just had news come out in the real world recently about Amelia Earhart and what might have been her actual fate. There's some images saying that I think she was taken into a Japanese POW camp or something, possibly. I'm assuming this book went into production prior to that news coming out, but it kind of changes things a bit. And there's no hardcore proof that that happened either. It was just uh, very heavily suggested by these new images that they found.
0: Yeah, but this could be the time in between the POW camp. Like she gets back to Earth and then she's like, oh shit, POW camp.
1: Good. Maybe he's maybe Farber is rewriting some issues as we speak.
0: What are you giving this book a grade? What grade what grade are you giving this thing? This is getting
1: four solid monkeys out of five.
0: Four solid monkeys out of five.
1: Four whole monkeys. Nobody's missing any ears or eyes or anything this week
0: making sure i write this down i never write it down and then i go back to editing and i'm like how many monkeys did you get this i'm gonna give it 3.75 robots there's, oh, your, there's your, just, your robot's missing his antenna there's just something something off with this book can't put my finger on it there's just something a little off and i'm gonna i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep searching and maybe next week i'll Come back and be like, I figured it out. This is why I didn't like about it. I was like, because of me, I think all meta level. So I'm like, does the does Amelia Earhart look like an ex girlfriend, or like, does you know the orc people with crew cuts like do they remind me of somebody who beat me up or something like that or gave me bad customer service? I don't know. There's but there's something in it that's that's just jarring me the wrong way. I don't know. You 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 figured out. You come back. Does it, are you interested
1: in issue two? That's your barometer, is this book has to sell me on the next issue. Did it sell you on the next issue?
0: Yes, but I could be off after issue two. Like, That's fair, but this
1: issue did its job then.
0: It's like the OA. The first episode of season two of the OA is either going to make me the happiest person in the world or the angriest person in the world. Because <laughs> it could ruin the whole show. Whole, hoopla for me the OA very frustrating I don't watch it oh you need to watch it I need to watch a lot of things I'm trying no to catch you need up to watch the OA because I've been telling everybody to watch the OA because I need to know what is real and what is not real man
1: there's there's so much that I got we're recording this on a Sunday I mean Game of Thrones is on tonight Rick and Morty comes back tonight webba lubba dub dub like there's, oh, just, there's God, so you much guys TV
0: you Rick and Morty come on oh man it's so good <laughs>
1: Uh. mech cadet U number one is out this week from boom studios it's written by greg pack with art from takeshi mayazawa and colored by Triona farrell this is uh this is for all you iron giant fans out there all you r- big giant robot kaiju fans which matt i know i know i just described you
0: yes i'm a big giant kaiju
1: we have a formal written review of this up on the site. Our our resident kaiju expert Tony Wendell covered this, so if you wanna if you want to see what his thoughts were, you can head over to the comic book section on Monkey's Fighting Robots as well.
0: I'm gonna have to read his review because I immediately, after reading this book about five minutes ago, tweeted Greg Pack and I was like, "Hey Greg Pack, you just turned me into a ten year old with Mech Cadet U number one," because. This book rips off every piece of my childhood and then puts it in a nice little package and gives it to me for Christmas, and it's awesome.
1: That was going to be my question. You just said the word rips off. That's my question. So just as the general premise, this takes place in a world where years ago a robot crashed down and chose a young boy to be his partner. They bonded and they fought off some aliens. Now, years in the future... Everyone's doing this. They have a whole core surrounded around it where, you know, mechs will come down every year, pick some cadets, and they enlist, basically. It's awesome, but like you said, this is everything you've heard before. Now you and I have gotten into some heated conversations about quote unquote ripoffs in comics. But you love this one. This was right up your alley. Is it again, like we were saying earlier, is it because it takes these tropes, this these concepts that you've seen before? And makes them feel new and fresh and original again. Because that's what I got from it.
0: There's some panels in this book that are straight out of like Ultraman or Godzilla. And I'm like, that's the universe that I think they're playing in. I mean, without actually saying, like, hey, this is set in the Ultraman universe. I'm like a passive fan of like mechs and anime and and that world. I was huge into Robotech. I love the original Voltron. I even like the other version of Voltron with all the cars that made robots. And there's been a few of that early 80s anime with big giant robots that I just love to death. And I was watching it. I was not watching this. I'm always going to say watching. It's Transitioning from movies to comic books to talk about is just, you know... It's a tough. It's a tough. It's a tongue twister, but just just reading this book, it's definitely the artwork is is what I like. It's what I enjoy. It's what I've grown up with, and it hits all the right notes. And then I'm looking at everything, and I'm like, okay, these these are shows I've watched. These are robots, you know, kids duking it out for to be a robot jockey, and then even the kid. Does the kid look like the kid from Yu-Gi-Oh? I thought Pokémon.
1: He has Pokemon, a Pokémon. Like yeah, ash. like it's po- yeah. it's
0: one of those it's one of those things where I was like, "Okay, we're just playing with every color color facet to make it look like everything that we've ever known in the robot human befriending monster world."
1: Yeah, it's very anime inspired, very manga inspired for sure. And I like, I like this, and I like Greg Pak's work, because you and I have had this discussion, you've had this discussion by yourself, I think, just sitting in a, in a room alone in a, with a mirror, is that uh, diversity in comics is so important, and it's something that's been talked about so much in these last few years. Your whole argument is that diversity doesn't start with the characters, it should start with the creators, and we should be having diverse creators writing diverse characters instead of having straight white guys writing these characters. I love Greg Pak because he is a Korean American, and he writes, you know, Korean Americans and, and Asian characters like Amadeus Cho at Marvel, and now these characters. His other series, Kingsway West, had Asian influences, and we have an artist on this book on Mech Cadet You!, with an Asian background as well.
0: No, there's little things in this book. Like, it says translated from Cantonese. Yeah. We didn't need to know that. We didn't need to know what it was trans- It could have just been all English, but he chose to do that. And then it's set in Los Robos, Arizona. So we know it's in the United States. We don't really, but it's still... um. Greg Rucka said this, you know, if you with an artist or or an anchor or colorist, if they send you a crowd shot and it's all white people in the crowd, you know, send it back and be like, hey, diversify. And there's a crowd shot of all the cadets and it's every color under the rainbow is in there. So anybody could be a robot jockey in this universe, which makes it more accessible to everybody. And I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it.
1: And it's directed towards kids. I mean, it's it's something anyone could enjoy. You can enjoy it. I can enjoy it. But you have a, a story with a a child protagonist like the Iron Giant, where a kid could pick this up. And again, it's great. It's great to teach diversity like this to kids. And sh- exactly what you just said. Anybody could be this guy. One of these mechs could pick anybody, regardless of race. And like, is more important in this story, regardless of class. Ooh,
0: ooh! <laughs> this reminded me of early Marvel Comics origins. Very simple, very everyman candidate kind of thing. That's that could be why it attached to me more than elsewhere. Number one, because this just has a lot of old school in it. And then just blows it, you know, blows it out of the water with dialogue. Greg Pak quickly establishes who the heroes and villains are very quickly in this, and they're true heroes, I guess, and true villains. You, you they'll, they'll expand on it a little bit more, but like, it's just the other book was heavy-handed to where this is like, this is happening, this is happening, boom! Here's your action. Here's the hero. Here's the villain this is the hero's journey that's going on and this is where the villain's leading like it's
1: there's not there's not much subtlety either like you know that little girl is a bitch <laughs> like she she starts out rude and at first i'm like oh maybe she'll come around and they're going to become friends but no she's the antagonist she is she's she's mean what do you think is going to end up happening with skip tanaka oh he's dead Dying. He's so you're, dead. You're right you're writing him out already. Writing
0: him out and I was like, ah oh, shit. Is he Skip. gonna be a
1: good guy or is he gonna turn out to be a dick?
0: No, I think no, I think he is the epitome of the hero. He's, he's he's our, the hero. he's our he's our hero. He's our uncle Ben. He's gonna be the guy that motivates our hero. It's what we were missing in Spider Man Homecoming. We're not going on that tangent, Matt. That
1: that that movie is is enjoyable and fun.
0: Uh, yeah, it's fun. Does it inspire you to help an old lady cross the street? No.
1: <laughs> I I think Skip Tanaka is going gonna, is gonna to stay on the good guy's side as well. Uh, but kind of what you were saying with Elsewhere, number one, is you know sometimes they'll introduce a character at the end of an issue where you think, oh, they're on the good side, and then it turns out they're not so good. But I think lines, like you said, are pretty, pretty clearly drawn in this issue. Sometimes the simplest concept and the simplest book is the most enjoyable. You don't need a lot of high art and a lot of depth to tell a good story always.
0: And I love Skip's robot. His robot looks awesome. Just beat down and battle damage. And that's where I was trying to figure out a timeline because at the beginning of the book, it says, if I can scroll to the top of the page and get my quote exactly, 60 years ago today. So Skip is like 70-something yeah, because he would have been a Boy
1: Scout. So, I don't know, let's say 12, 13. So, he yeah, has got to be 70. I'd say 75 at the absolute latest.
0: He looks really good for 75.
1: He does. I had not really. Well, maybe, maybe space will do that to you. He's been out in space for a long time. So, you know, black holes and stuff like that slow things
0: down. And he's got, like, the battle scars. He just looks good and and his robot's 60 years old and it just looks good it just ah just feel and when he can when you see it it's like oh it's one of these guys. It, it was the captain america moment of the book
1: absolutely i really like miyazawa's art here too it's it's got like a good amount of of sketch and roughness to it but it still feels you know wholesome and the colors in this book again just just wholesome and bright and happiness and everything that is going to be at the heart of this book as far as i can tell
0: yeah but we all know that greg pak blew up planet scar and blew up hulk's wife and at the time you thought it was his child too that died so greg pak could bring the darkness to this shit, series he he
1: can he's he's the only hulk writer that i've ever really enjoyed
0: so I don't trust them. I, I don't trust them at all, but I really enjoy this series. The colors in this is just... The color palette for this, it's funny. Uh, my kid and I, we've been watching a lot of Inspector Gadget lately, and the color palette is 80s cartoonish. Like, this mm-hmm. this style, this color, it reminds me of Mask, the TV show Mask. Uh, even the artwork reminds me of Oh, Centurions is the artwork that it reminds me of, the TV show artwork, and the colors are just, it's straight up, this needs to be an animated film, like, stat, I'm on it already.
1: Yeah, it's cartoony in a way that works better than it did for Elsewhere, because we also described Elsewhere as cartoony, it it works better here, and again, I love, you just picked up Understanding Comics by Scott McLeod good on you. He describes in there, we talked about it a few weeks ago, the masking effect, where you make characters purposefully cartoony and undetailed so that you can see yourself in these characters. And that's what I'm seeing here with Stanford, the main boy. It's a very simple face. Any young kid that picks up this book can see themselves in Stanford which goes back to what we were saying earlier. Anybody anybody can be chosen by a mech. I think, I think this is a good, a wholesome book, and, and we need more of that in a world where Mr. Miracle is attempting to m- commit suicide.
0: Yeah, Tom, we're speaking directly to you. But I love you, <laughs>
1: but I love your work, Tom. I do.
0: <laughs> oh, man, there's so many good panels in this, and I'm just flipping through them. I, it's a very quick read, and then how I'm starting to judge some of my books on, like, wanting to read issue 2 i need to it, i feel like pacing is a huge thing if i flow through a book and i'm just like oh my god i get to the last page i'm like i cannot read cannot wait to read issue 2 it's probably cuz of the pacing and, and you're running through all the the good points you know you, you introduce the villain you introduce the hero you introduce the old time warrior you introduce the robot you know you give me some cool cuz there's not a lot of action there's no action in this thing i mean there is action but like it's very brief. It's not like they're battling anything. It just skip comes in, throws a few sentry robots around and and lights his gun up. He doesn't shoot it. you know there's no gunfire or anything and but it feels very action packed. It is very character driven I love me a good
1: character driven book It's not heavy on the action at all. I think we'll be getting a lot more action. I hope that this book does not become an action book where it sacrifices character development because I I, I love this I love this y- young boy character I love the robot character I can't wait to see they kind of had very brief interaction before the government interfered I really want to see them bond more because that's always the best element of those stories that's the best element of the Iron Giant is watching the giant and Elliot I think his name was Elliot bond
0: no it's Homer I Homer. Homer? It's gotta be Homer. It is
1: Homer. How did I forget that?
0: Elliot's in E.T. Yeah,
1: I'm getting my I'm getting my sci fi
0: crossed. Kid sci fi.
1: getting my, my kid sci fi crossed up. But those those always but even in E. T. too. Those are the best moments are when E.T.
0: the phone young home. child
1: is bonding with the alien entity. So I hope we don't get like an overwhelming you know, action story when I want to... You know, I want good character development and story to come first.
0: Hogarth, Hogarth, not
1: Homer. It was something weird with the name, yeah. Because what's his name? The the beatnik character, the whole thing, is, and the other guy, the government agent, the whole time are cracking jokes about the guy's the kid's name, Hogarth. Hogarth.
0: Uh, are you talking about Harry Connick Jr. the beatnik?
1: Yes, I'm just I'm spacing on this movie today. I feel like such an ass. I just Gene. watched it not too long ago too. <laughs>
0: Dean and Christopher McDonald is, is awesome. Lee cast as Kent Mansley as the, uh, I don't know. was the alien patrol or FBI. I don't know. But that's such a good movie. So good. It is. This is the first book. Let's go to you. Number one. I think this is the first book that I'm, it's going to make me add it to my poll list because I don't want to miss issue two.
1: Awesome. High praise.
0: What are you gonna score it? Four point six.
1: Four
0: point six. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. What? Too low? No, 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 no. It's it's fine. I was. It's crazy because I'm at four point five. I I love this book, but I also know my own personal issues, so I know that this book has, this book hits everything that I love. So of course I love it. Will everybody love it? No.
1: I was going to go 4.5. And that seems to be, that's like a safe space for books that I really enjoy, that are just like they're really good books. They're not perfect, but they're enjoyable. I gave this the extra 0.1 because in talking to you about it and starting to unpack the bright hopefulness in this book, that will inspire readers, especially young readers. Uh, I that gave it the point one edge for me.
0: Ooh. I just needed a fight. Like I need I needed to see this kid and the robot duke it out with something. Oh, light. you'll get it. And that would be that would be where I'd be like, oh, here's an awesome act. Cause I'm wanting the action. Cause if you look at these panels that are in here, the most casual conversations have awesome action in it. Like it's set up the way the way the angles are, the panels and how conversation is moving, there's there's so much movement in this book that I can't wait to see an actual robot versus giant monster battle. Oh, so excited.
1: No, you need the action. Don't get me wrong at all. And I want action in this book. It's giant robots. I mean, you want giant, you want action. I just again, I don't want it to Sacrifice character for action, but yeah, you need action, and you know you're gonna get it. This young boy is gonna throw down with that young bratty girl in her Earth
0: made mech. Well, what? That's, and and that's this is me just. Climax. This is me trying to figure out the whole book itself. Is they said sixty years ago this one robot came down, and then every four years after that, three robots have come down since then. Yes. So if you run through the math really quickly, there's 180 robots could still possibly be running around this Earth. And that's a lot. I mean, some could have perished in battles. A Uh, lot
1: of them are up in space. I mean, that's where Skip Tanaka was originally, too. I think a lot of
0: them are stationed in space. But if you think about it, 180 different mech giant robots... There's infinite possibilities of designs and concepts. Because the hero's robot... You know, he's different than Skip's robot. Like, there's there's color tones and palettes that they... Oh, there's so many cool things that you could do with these robots, and I'm very excited. And we don't even know if you can upgrade these robots. Like, Skip's got a big, giant gun. Kind of looks like Megatron at, some, at a few points in time. Like, that one panel, that's totally ripped out of... This is why... I couldn't give it more than 4.5 because I was like, there's one panel. I was like, oh, they just ripped that straight out of a Transformers book, and that's Megatron shooting his gun at somebody.
1: Mm. Again, art is not created in a vacuum, Matt. Everyone's inspired from something.
0: Yeah, but it looks like Megatron. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it looks exactly like Megatron.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it looks like Megatron. (laughs) It made me sad.
0: Really? That's the best comeback? Oh, I'm sad. Like that's I'm not sad. I'm just <laughs> being like, hey, this is Megatron. But no, it's, it'll be interesting to see them get weaponized. I'm very excited for the series. Again, this is the first book that we've talked about in our podcast that I'm going to put on my pull list at Emerald City Comics because that's where I get my books from.
1: Greg Pack, you did it. Congrats.
0: Each week, we want to bring you an interview from either a beat reporter from Monkey Spreading Robots or a comic book creator. This week, we have Zach Kaplan, writer of Eclipse, and the upcoming series Port of Earth, both from Image and Top Cow. Zach, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. San Diego Comic-Con was last week. Did you survive? (laughs) Yeah,
2: Barely. I made it out just barely. It was crazy. It's I, it's my third time going. It's always quite a scene, but it's awesome.
0: Were you wheeling and dealing at the Hilton Bar after hours? I
2: did. I did the Hilton Bar a few times. I did the Hyatt. I bounced back and forth. I don't know wheeling or dealing. I was wheeling or dealing and uh, buying drinks and just trying to meet other creators and celebrate comics and storytelling.
0: Do they still have comics at Comic-Con?
2: Yeah. They, <laughs> you know, I was at the booth. I happen to know, but I... <laughs> There were a lot of people that do come up and say, where's the, the toy booth or where's Mattel and, and, uh, and, oh, comics. Yeah. And I do, when I say, you know, I write for uh, image comics, sometimes they give me a blank look and I have to go, they do Walking Dead and people go, oh, the TV show. And I go, right. So, uh, you know, (laughs) yes. I don't know if they, I guess they do comics there. (laughs) It's a good. It's a good existential question. It, it, are there still comics at Comic Con?
0: Well, at Comic Con, you announced a book. Can you give our listeners the details?
2: Yeah, it's called Port of Earth. It's coming in November, and uh, Hollywood always looks at aliens coming to blow us up or bring uh, enlightenment. And uh, this story says, well, what if they didn't come in war or peace? What if they came with a business deal? And the business deal is to open up a port here on Earth, and uh, when they do. Uh, Things don't entirely go according to plan. Our alien visitors don't always stay at port. They sometimes go and cause trouble in our cities. And it's up to uh, our security agents to hunt them down and deport them back to port. And it kind of follows a couple of these agents and kind of asks the question, what would happen if we got into business with aliens and and, uh, how that might go for us?
1: And how was Port of Earth conceived? Like, was it was it your brainchild? And what was it like putting yeah. a team together?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I came up with the idea, and uh, this is my second book, so I uh, I pitched it to uh, Matt Hawkins at TopCow and he loved it. And uh, I like the sci-fi lane, uh, eclipses sci-fi. So uh, after that, we went looking for an artist, and uh, Top Cow had a, a few artists that were on their radar. And one really jumped out at me, and that was Andrea Moody. And he's done a lot of cool sci-fi stuff. He's done Aliens, Prometheus, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is kind of cool and edgy, Highlander, Rebels he recently got off of. That's Revolutionary War. But he's done a lot of stuff, some Batman, some X-Men, lots of uh, heroic stuff. And uh, I just really thought he had a really cool and gritty style, and I wanted kind of a gritty uh, feel to the book. And so we we got him on board. We brought in uh, a colorist he's worked with, Vladimir Popov, who uh, has done uh, some great things. And uh, the coloring is really unique and cool to this book, too. It's very uh, desaturated and cinematic and uh, really cool.
0: I was listening to your description, and I'm a Gen Xer, and the first thing that came to my head was uh, Alien Nation. Did you see that movie or that TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Where are your sci-fi influences coming from?
2: I mean, I grew up on Star Wars and Star Trek, and I saw everything from, you know, gosh, Brisco County Jr., if we want to go back to the <laughs> 90s, and, uh, you know, everything. I, I inhaled anything that was uh, sci-fi, and I, I still do. Uh, you know, I've read my Asimovs, and I've... Uh, I love sci I love all things sci-fi. I love the over the top sci-fi things like fifth element and I love the uh, nuanced sci-fi things like uh, recently arrival or uh, district nine. so I-, I definitely with with these stories like with port of earth, I, I like to lean more towards a uh, i don't know if the word is grounded but definitely gritty and substantial and thought-provoking science fiction something that that feels like our world one one degree off uh, science fiction is a, a great way to kind of uh, ask a question uh about our our society and i think um, this one's kind of looking at our relation how, how we handle business but uh yeah it's it's um i love sci-fi i grew up on it
0: And we talked to some artists and some writers at the Image Comic Panel and Megacon out here in Orlando, and some writers are sticklers about the artists following their plan, and then some some writers are just like, hey, you do what you do. This is what I'm kind of looking for. And then so there seems to be two different real extremes on how to manage the artist, and how did you manage your artist?
2: I'm a big fan of kind of the uh, two captains on the submarine approach. So I like to be involved in the process and there's a a lot of world building. And when you're coming up with the look of aliens and all this stuff, I mean, uh, there's a lot of creativity that that goes into it. And I have a vision, but I, I want the artist to bring his own vision to it. So I'm a big fan of just collaboration i like to communicate i like to give lots of ideas and the kind of deal i make with any artist is uh you let me make the the idea and if you don't like it then you let me know and i think most of the time if an artist says i don't think this idea is going to work or "I, i think this way is better most of the time i try to trust my artist but I certainly like those conversations because I think a lot of times what happens is those conversations lead to a shared vision where both parties are really excited and you kind of find things through the conversation. So that's my, my preference.
1: Are your scripts really detailed when you hand them to the artist or do you try, gotta try to make them more of a general outline for them to follow since you're going for a two-captain kind of approach?
2: I'm pretty specific when it comes to uh, paneling but I like to encourage the artists from the onset to change it if they feel so inspired. If they feel adding an extra panel or changing something um, is beneficial, I want to listen to them. Andrea, pretty pretty good about just sticking with the number of panels and such. Sometimes he will balance the different elements in a panel. He'll withhold something for another panel if he feels a panel's too busy. And and I am all for that. I try to be detailed with the world, but I also try to give, um, you know, I gave him a Bible early on because the story's unfolding as we go and just an issue one script wouldn't be as informative as seeing a roadmap for where I wanted to go and what everything that's going to happen in the series. So I want to tell him, And then, you know, it's far easier in a Bible to write what the agent's suits and weapons are going to look like and what the alien, how how the variations on alien ships. And I'm not describing each ship, but to say they're all different and uh, this and that and what, you know. So I try to give them uh, an artist information and then let him run with it. And he's been fantastic about, about bringing his own inspirations and his own creativity to the world building.
0: And then you mentioned that the book has a cinematic quality to it. And this is a word that we've been using a lot with co- comics is the look of it and everything. And so you're talking about the art. We're talking about the writing. And I always wonder how much color plays a role in the book. With the first issue, did color play a role huge. emotionally yeah. and everything? It's
2: huge. It's huge.
0: I am I. I mean, it's a huge factor. And I.
2: I really wanted... It's not... The word is not monochromatic, but I wanted the colors to be very uh, I didn't want them to be overwhelming. I wanted them to be really kind of uh, at times neutral or at times I don't know, it, it's very um, you know there's maybe two or three colors on a page or four colors on the page and then those colors are not bright. They're kind of they're subdued. And I, I think there's something about it that really lends itself to making it feel more realistic. Although, ironically enough, if you were to, if you look outside, uh, you know your window or something like that, or your there's lots of color in the world, but there's something about this kind of color style that really makes it feel more cinematic. So I, I can't put my finger on it, but I know it when I see it. And we we looked at a lot of references and found this lane that we wanted to be in and, and, and Vlad was a, was really great at capturing it.
0: I just saw atomic blonde last night and that has a very muted color palette uh, because it deals with uh, Berlin and the Berlin wall and that time period. And it definitely, when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, this is has like a hint of sin city to it uh, because of messing with the colors in film. Um, But I kind of, I understand what you're saying where it kind of just, I don't know. Sometimes with this kind of thing, it kind of, relaxes the reader when you use that type of color
2: yeah and i always think of like um the skip bleach process for those uh filmophiles out there you know david fincher uses this a lot in like seven and uh girl with a dragon tattoo and it kind of makes the the blacks darker the whites brighter and and everything's kind of washed out but the reduction of color kind of creates this very tense mood, even though there's not a lot going on. I don't, And yet it can also be equally calming. It's a very unique uh, approach. And I actually don't see a ton of comics do this, which is which is why I'm really excited. I mean, they're out there, but I'm really excited about this color approach. I think it really helps to, to make it feel modern and crisp.
1: Your other creator-owned book, it was announced at San Diego, that Eclipsed is being developed for TV. So congrats on that. Thank well. you. Yeah, that is so exciting. Uh but it's also it must be a huge like waiting game for the end result on something like that. What what are your feelings about the whole process so far?
2: Yeah, there's a lot I can't say. It's been kind of surreal, especially uh there's some big names involved and I can't say, but it was surreal when it started and it's continued to be surreal and it's very weird sitting on such stuff and not being able to talk about it like when you say Um,
0: big names you like jj abrams
2: i can't say anything but um (laughs) like christopher
0: nolan's brother you know the guys from westworld i can't say anything (laughs)
2: but it's hollywood has all these different ins and outs in terms of the development process in terms of packaging in terms of legality it does take a while and it's a waiting game and and development's development you never know if it's uh what's going to happen so i'm trying to just stay realistic about it uh, despite the fact that it seems pretty exciting so uh we'll see i'm excited for more information to come out about it but i have to wait like everybody else (laughs) (laughs)
1: even just the prospect of it for your first creator on book is is something to behold
2: thank you yeah yeah Eclipse is a a really uh fun world and i think it it would make an awesome tv show i i hope it goes Uh, i think there's a good shot it's 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 coming together really good, so uh, we'll see.
0: One aspect of launching a creative-owned book is promoting it. Uh, Ryan Brown and Charles Soule are currently in a van driving across the United States promoting Curse Words. They're acting like like an indie rock band, a very goofy indie rock band, but did they just raise the bar on promoting comic books?
2: Or they just needed a vacation, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Time will tell on their... uh, on the results, but I definitely think the thing that I've learned is comic book creators, especially in the indie space, you are your own promotion engine, and you have to get the word out there. I, I've been trying to do that for Clips. I'm definitely planning some moves on uh, Port of Earth and trying to f- come up with some fun, creative things to do. You have to you have to get the word out there and 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 create the experience and let people be part of it. And I definitely think coming up with experiences like uh, the cross country, uh, road trip is, um, I don't think I'll be going across country with port of earth, but you have to come up with fun, fun ways to get people, uh, to engage in the story and, and have fun with it. And, and, um, comics are supposed to be fun and cool. And, and the more you can create experiential, uh, ways to connect the better. So it's a must.
1: And we talked briefly about your inspiration behind port of earth. Eclipse, you know, has sort of a a neo noir vibe to it. You know, the cynical, reluctant hero with shady corporation. What were what were some of your inspirations behind that
2: book? From in terms of like what other works out there, I was in Blade Runner, Chinatown. Those were very influential to me when I was uh, doing it. It's definitely a very I like kind of taking a lot of subgenres and and mashing them together. So, Eclipse is part mystery, part killer thriller, part action thriller, there's a lot going on there. And, and I mean, it's all sci-fi thriller, but it's lots of different things kind of, kind of rolled together. Uh, I think I looked to some of the thrillers that kind of have conspiracies in the background and, and killers on the loose. I looked at some of the, um, trying to think what killers on the loose stories. I, I looked seven, you know, looked at that a little bit. Um, but there's this whole other facet to it. The sun is deadly. I looked at Sunshine. I looked at uh, I Am Legend and Omega Man for, for that because those are, uh, of course, these are all movies. But it's such, I couldn't figure, I couldn't find too many comic books that straddle the fence between post-apocalyptic and dystopian. You know, there are some comic books out there where it's just straight post-apocalyptic. It's, it's wasteland. And then there's some where it's just crazy cities uh dystopian cities but i needed the blend and uh and it was hard to find stuff that that did both so um i I turned to movies a bit more
0: with the creator own books some people hire their own editors some people edit their own books what is your style with a creator own book
2: well both of these titles have been through top cow which is a, a a house underneath uh image, you know, Skybound is uh, is one uh, imprint and shadow line. And Top Cow has uh, an editorial staff that's there, you know, if you need them, they, they've they given me a lot of freedom. And I actually have done most of the, uh, they haven't really um, been too involved in the storytelling or anything like that. They're there to help me with the, the deadlines and the production schedules and things of that nature. Yeah, I've I, I've really been flying solo on that, and in, in, um, in terms of the, you know, there there hasn't been a lot of. They look at stuff when I when I um, when I have it, and if it, they say if you need any help, uh, we're here for you. But they've kind of been letting me run a little bit. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Certainly, I think if I was doing something like an image direct book or uh, doing with a publisher that did not have the editorial infrastructure, I could see the advantage of hiring one. It, they've kind of provided just enough support and just enough creative freedom that it's it's been a good combination.
1: What books are you reading right now that you would recommend? Either novels or other comic books that that you're really digging, other than other than your own, obviously.
2: Comic books, um, yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, I love everything. Remender. I'm enjoying Seven to Eternity. I'm excited that Descender is back. Uh, I'm excited to. Uh, I like Saga. I like Southern Bastards. I like Postal out of Top Cow or Think Tank. Those are good title, Top Cow titles. Oh, I'm really excited about Cal Exit. That just came out of Black Mask. Uh, I really thought that was a super cool idea. Uh, California seceded. I like Animosity after out of Aftershock. That's a really you know interesting title about animals, and uh, that's really clever. So I, I think it's a really fun time. I, I don't lean towards the, I don't get into DC and Marvel titles too much right now. I, I've been really focused on um, some of the creator-owned dindy titles that are coming out. And there's just so much good stuff. Horizon, Extremity, uh, you know, Hadron's Wall has been super cool. Um, there's a
0: bunch. It's a great time to be in the comic book industry because it's there's so many different genres right now. I ask all my guests this question. This is my closing out question. If you were to put together a buddy cop film, who would be your two leads and why? It's a
2: buddy cop film, and I'm picking any two leads from the world, from life.
0: From, yeah, it could be it could be from life, and they and can be alive or dead. Doesn't matter. I've, there's not a lot of rules on this one.
2: Buddy cop, huh? All right. How about uh? How about Edison and Tesla?
0: I feel like there was a comic like that already.
2: There might've been one where they're against each other, but I don't think they had to run around and solve crimes together.
0: <laughs> there so. is a weird one where they have,
1: they have like their own respective teams that go against each other. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tesla and Edison were arch rivals in terms of the energy, uh, space at, at the, at, at their historical time. So, uh, buddy cop yeah sure tesla and edison that sounds fun yeah i'll stick with that that's good
0: that works
1: <laughs> i'm sensing a theme with all of your answers man a lot of science a lot of science, I like science.
2: Sci-fi. yeah i uh you know even when i come up with new ideas it, it all leans sci-fi i um sci-fi is awesome and uh yeah i i, I kind of like living in that space um and i like ground i like you know gritty sci-fi i like sci-fi that that's kind of, um, this, I don't know how to describe it, you know, Arrival, like just awesome, man. Like makes you think about life and, and time and, and, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. I like stuff that I like sci-fi that is thought provoking. That's my aspiration.
0: Are you worried or excited about the new Blade Runner film?
2: I'm always worried about those. <laughs> I'm always, I'm hopeful, but I'm worried. I mean, you, you take a property like Blade Runner, it's just so good. And the trailer looks promising. The trailer looks promising, and the Hollywood has had their fair share of successful redos. But you just, anytime you hear that someone's messing with something like that, I, I get, I, you can't help but be worried. It's all of our baby. We grew up on it. I guess. What's the worst case though? That they just screw it up, and then there's just a sucky Blade Runner movie out there, and then we all just try to like pretend it doesn't exist i guess that's the <laughs>
0: yeah that's worst case scenario
2: <laughs> and then we and then we all just go uh eh. but i guess we would all like there to be a good blade runner follow-up i mean what, what if it's good does that mean that the whole franchise is just here we go like welcome to like the blade runner tv show and the blade runner trilogy and like welcome to the blade runner movement if it's good if it's yeah, good and they money they'll not stop right yeah,
1: we get an extended
2: universe if It's yeah. good.
0: Well, yeah. you, you're out in LA. You're the guy. You're the go to guy on this information. You know, we're, we're, I, the, we're I, the guys yeah, on the East and Coast. I've,
2: and I've written for film and TV, nothing that's been produced, but I've taken enough meetings in town that I, I know that lay of the land. It's really a no win situation in, in terms of protecting the property, because if this movie's good, then that will spawn three or four more universe properties. And it's only a matter of time before one of them just sucks. You know, you just have to take the good with the bad. I hope the movie's good, though. That's definitely one of the movies that I'm most excited about seeing soon, for sure.
0: Zach, thank you for your time and best of luck with your future projects. Hey, thank you, guys. That was Zach Kaplan and his book, Port of Earth. Anthony, when's that book coming out? Port of Earth is coming in November. We got to wait that that
1: long? We got to wait that long, but Eclipse is out. You can go read his Eclipse series right now, what's out already, the first two arcs.
0: What do you think of Zack? I thought Zach was kind of cool, because the way we do interviews is I usually talk to him, about, like, hey, can we get 10 minutes, 12 minutes of your time? And we ended up talking to him for 22 minutes. It's pretty solid.
1: No, he was very kind. He, he was awesome to talk to. Really knows his stuff. I love uh, I love a good sci-fi junkie. I mean, I, I wish we could have talked to him longer about about Blade Runner and the upcoming Blade Runner. Uh yeah,
0: man. Jonathan Hickman is my barometer for sci-fi and that science fiction comic nerdiness. And Zach is definitely in that wheelhouse of of concept building and, and creating these insane worlds. When he talked about how he had a Bible for Port of Earth that he gave the artist, you're building a universe before you even write issue one. Like, that's a different type of writing. Not every writer does that.
1: No, and that's what we need right now. That's what's popular right now, I should say, is people love big, expansive universes and world-building. People love world-building. Look at Star Wars. Just look to Star Wars, how much people love world-building and who and Trekkies, who's learning Klingon. People love the details. They love that you can say that you can explain the cultures of these fictional races of people and the geography of the planets and whatnot. People love world building and they always have to a certain extent, but I feel like it's really prominent right now in fiction. Uh, And I think Zach is going to do a great job. I cannot wait for Port of Earth.
0: Details. It's really interesting that you mentioned details because I remember this from one of my friends who was in comedy in Chicago at the IO and, doing all that he told me and this has stuck with me forever that the funniest bits are the most detailed bits where you can visualize everything and and generic comedy doesn't work but when you're talking about something very specific it hits a certain tone more and people laugh and it goes with most writing the more details you have it's it works because it makes it feel real. You sell it. People can
1: relate to the details, I think. It's not
0: lazy writing? No, isn't it hard to come up with details? No, I, that's what I was saying. It's not lazy writing. I guess I could have accentuated that way differently. Less of a you, question. Yeah, you phrased it like a question. Less of a question mark at the end of... Is writing a Bible lazy writing? Are uh, talking
1: like a valley girl where everything's a question now?
0: Oh, now I'm going to do a whole episode like that. That's going to be awesome. I think I might kill you <laughs> all the mediums crossover. Cause we're talking about writing. So whether it's film jokes, TV comic books, there's somebody putting pen to paper or finger to keys or mouth to microphone. If they have a dict- dictaphone, <laughs> that joke, <just laughs> went all, well, same never mind. I just, I lost that one. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of the same truths. Fall for all these things, and it's it's just interesting to watch them all unfold. Because I watch a lot of TV, I watch a lot of film. I love com- stand-up comedians, and I love comic books. And so to watch to see who's the successful ones in the group, you know, you can you can draw parallels between all the different mediums. And that's why I love breaking down the world of pop culture.
1: It's uh, I mean, hell, we got a podcast that's all about. That. We have a website that's all about that. People love dissecting these fictional worlds.
0: Oh, and speaking of fictional worlds, um, Monkeys Fighting Robots got nominated for 11 Best of the Bay awards from Creative Loafing. So if you go to Creative Loafing and go to Best of the Bay, we have 11 of them. And, you know, the big one is the podcast. So if you can vote for the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast, that would be awesome. It's weird. I got nominated for Mover and Shaker. That was nice. So, if um, very,
1: very nice.
0: I I'm going against Jeff Vinick, the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I would love to take him down. That would be You are
1: not. Don't <laughs> <laughs> You're in the same category as the owner of the Lightning.
0: You know, I'm a, you know, some people don't know this, but I'm kind of a a, a big wig in uh the Tampa <laughs> Bay scene. I mean, I have a garage filled with microphone and camera equipment. Who knows? Uh I don't get more hermedy than that.
1: I, I hate the Lightning, so I hope you take him down. Okay, the Rags are a god awful organization. No, sir, excuse you. The New York Rangers are an institution.
0: Yeah, mental institution.
1: Oh my God! Coming from a Devils fan, that means a lot.
0: Yeah, because we know what winning's about.
1: I'm not. I'm not. We're, we're, <laughs> we need to. Let's start a monkeys fighting robots hockey
0: show, and we'll just and we'll uh, just every week we'll just. Yeah, because Brandon, he's a Flyers fan, and so no, he's a Penguins fan. Oh my god! Ah, uh, it's kill. even worse. He'll
1: kill. no, it is. I mean, listen, the Penguins and the Flyers both are atrocious, but he would have
0: killed you if you had gotten that wrong. Oh, we should. I'm going to recut this so that we say that Brandon is a Flyers fan. That's what we should start doing. I mean, let's find out who people's favorite teams are, and then just on this podcast, because we have one million listeners, we tell people the exact opposite. Like my friend James Wynn up in Chicago, he's a White Sox fan. No, he's a Cubs fan. But if you listen say, to this, he must be a Cubs fan. <laughs> ha, and my buddy Jay Deal up in Richmond, Virginia, he's a Mets fan. Okay, so he's uh, if
1: he's up in Virginia,
0: that he, means that he's a Nationals fan. No, he's a Yankees fan. Oh, okay. I was just going NLE. I so. know it was it was hard. I was like, oh, should I say he's a Red Sox fan, and then you get the correlation. But like this was advanced SAT correlations. I mean with the Mets,
1: I mean it could have been Yankees, Braves, Nationals. I I don't really count the Nationals actually as like arch rivals of the Mets. I can I can dig the Nationals even though we're in the same division.
0: Oh my god, what the hell is the matter with you? I'm I'm not gonna root for them the over Nationals the Nationals are obviously. like the axe body spray of the MLB.
1: Well, now I think over the last couple of years they've come that way, but I think in the beginning they were
0: they were still when they were still lovable losers. So I guess like the Mets. Oh, before, you're So nice. Were- I mean, like I, Philly can always, you know, I spit on your grave, Philly. That's oh, what I do. Yeah. Hell yeah. Nationals, I'm starting to get there with you. I'm definitely up there because as long as Bryce Harper is up there, I, he's got to go. He's he's the epitome of douchebag.
1: Yeah. Now that now that they're becoming more of a threat. In the NL East, I mean now becoming, they've been more of a threat in the NL East the last few seasons. Yeah, it's a little bit harder to a
0: little bit harder to like them. Welcome to the monkeys fighting robots MLB post game show. We'll be coming to you live <laughs> Monday through Friday, talking about the trade deadline on Monday. No, actually not. We're going to talk about comic books. Anthony, our Mets suck. It's over. It's all yeah. about next year. You have a good week. Enjoy some comic books, and I will talk to you next Monday. Peace and love. Once again there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show Follow us on Twitter at Monkeys Funny Robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram At Monkeys Funny Robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter At the underscore great underscore ace I wonder if people don't follow you because they can't find you Because they're typing in the underscore great underscore ace like, you... And they're, just,
1: they're spelling out the word underscore? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Alex Blashley found me.
0: There you go. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to our show is on our website, monkeysfinderrobots.com.
2: Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again.
0: There are so many people that made the seventh episode of the comic show on Monkeys for the Robots a Success. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Campasto.
1: I want to say a formal goodbye to Heroes Landing, my local comic shop in Claremont, Florida. Uh, owner Todd Merrick is a swell guy. You know, he ran that store for eight years. When I got back into comics, they were my first stop, and I bought my first comics from them after being lapsed for so long. So it's a sad goodbye. Thanks for the memories.
0: Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey Spreading Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff official Realm built our website and keeps us up running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkey Spreading Robots.